0: Amen. Good morning, church family. Morning. While we're all getting uh, situated, appreciate the praise team setting the table for us. Uh, you'll notice Zach Dalton is missing here. Uh, please be praying for him. His mother is on hospice and maybe in the last hours this morning. ...down at Wilcox Hall, so she uh, she's probably fighting her last fight this today, uh, according to the doctors. But only the Lord knows these things for sure, but that's what the medical nurses are telling them down there. So, they need your prayers, you want to send them a t- text of encouragement or something later, please feel free to do so. All right. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be picking back up where we left off in Luke 17... If you're joining us for the first time and the first time in a long time, we're working through the Gospel of Luke. And it has been a joy and a blessing, has it not, church, to just see the larger narratives in the Gospel of Luke as we are understanding it better. And today, as we work through the second half here, you can go back if you would like to watch the first part of this. I tried my best to preach this whole section two weeks ago, but uh, as often, uh, my plans are very lofty and don't always quite make it, so I had to kind of break this into two parts today. So I'm going to read this whole section, though, and I'm going to give you a quick refresher from where we were last time as we lead in here this morning. So, Jeff, are you going to stay with me with this as I read this? Because I'm not sure about the clicker. So here we go. Here's the Word of God, church. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, He answered them, The kingdom of God is now coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And He said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they said, And they will say to you, look there or look here, not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and making merry and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day... When the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in his house not come down to take them away, and likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in the night there will be two in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together, that's making bread. One will be taken, and one and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Amen. May God have blessing you in the reading of his holy and errant, infallible word. And I pray he writes this truth on all of our hearts today. We've been seeing Jesus here preparing for Jerusalem. He is heading to the cross. As we prepare in our own hearts for Resurrection Sunday, for Easter Sunday, we're seeing here Jesus preparing the disciples for the events that are about to transpire. We see a prophecy within what we just read from where the, where the disciples are sitting of the cross, right? He must be rejected and suffer uh, at the hand of this generation, right? It says that here in the text. Now, from last time we looked at this text, I'm just, this is just a quick review. We see the Pharisees are very much about power. They want to know the answer to a particular question. They have heard about the kingdom of God. They want to know when's it going to happen, right? When is the kingdom of God coming? That's what they're fixated on. And it's sad to say, but today we have some churches, that's all they want to do is talk about when and make guesstimations of when Jesus will return. Jesus rebukes them and says, you're asking the wrong question. The question shouldn't be when is the kingdom of God coming, but who." Who is ushering in the kingdom of God? And here the answer is, of course, Christ himself. All right. So they're using the wrong criteria, their observation, and what they can see, feel, and touch. They think the kingdom of God is just going to be an event. They don't quite understand it as it unfolds in a two-phase process. The Bible tells us that he is, it is within your midst, right? It is right here before you. And we see that happening. When Christ came, he brought the kingdom of God. It is set up here in the hearts and the lives of all believers and all that follow Him. So there's a phase one and a stage one at which the kingdom of God is fulfilled. The Pharisees missed that because they missed who Jesus was. And then there's a phase two coming. So in the first part, it talks about phase one of the kingdom. Trying to get that across to the Pharisees. Well, today, in the latter part of this text, where I'm going to kind of pick up at and and preach on from, we're going to see that not only do the Pharisees get the wrong question, but... The disciples get the wrong question. The disciples' question is not so much, where when is the kingdom? They want to know, where is it? Is it in Jerusalem? Is it in Rome? Where are you going to set it up, Lord? And so what we're going to see is Jesus is going to say, you're asking the wrong question as well, right? So let's, let's unpack this two-phase here of the kingdom, see if we can understand this and get a bit of application from this. Uh, I'm going to pick up here, I think last time, I finished up right around Lot's wife. So I'm going to push back just a little bit here and pick up right around Lot's wife. Okay. Um, he says here in 24, the lightning flashes. It's unmistakable when Jesus comes as he enters into the second phase here of the day of the Lord. Uh, there will be, must say he must suffer many things in verse 25, 26, where we'll pick up just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. So everything seemed to be flowing and going as normal. didn't seem to be anything disruptive. Men probably, they mocked him as he built the ark for 100 plus years. Uh, Nobody had seen rain like he was preparing for and everybody thought he was a joke, right? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? As we tell people, you don't understand. There is a coming day of the Lord. Now don't confuse that with the Lord's day, right? A lot of people talk about Sunday, that's the Lord's day. We talk about the day of the Lord that's the day when Christ returns. That's the day when the second phase of the kingdom is inaugurated in. That's the day when all of these events that you see happening here will happen, and Christ will, in my opinion, what I think the scriptures teach historically and clearly in this text, Christ will set up a literal reign, and He will reign here. All right, all right. Look, let's re- let's read this together. Look, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. Now we have today, people are just going about their lives. They're buying homes, selling homes, perhaps at a higher premium than ever before. They're they're eating and they're drinking, they're planning their celebrations. Um, And yet there's something looming and imminent that is to come. Verse 30, so it will be on that day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day that the one who is on the housetop, I think I explained this last time, Uh, We put this in context of Lot. Lot's an amazing story. If you've never read it before, I'm going to challenge you to go back and read the Old Testament and read this story that Jesus is referencing, this narrative. God sends whom to warn Lot and his family of the incoming judgment? Who does he send? He sends angels, right? I want you to think about this. Many of you are probably sitting here today and you're planning your lunch dinners as I'm speaking, right? And You're thinking about what you're going to have for lunch. Imagine today you got an interrupting their lunch and it was an angel of the Lord and he told you seven days. In seven days, all of Carter County will be completely destroyed. You've got to leave. <laughs> you got an angel sitting there right way. What would you do, right? Your whole life is here. Your friends are here. Everything you have is here, right? And this angel says, you know, this is God's mercy that we've told you this. But you've got seven days. You've got to get out. Oh, by the way, when you leave probably ought to rip the rearview mirrors off of your car because you can't look back. When this whole thing starts, as soon as you cross the Carter County line, you cannot look back. If you look back, judgment will fall on you too. That sounds harsh. Why would God do that? Well, when we put this in the framework of what Jesus is saying in the larger narrative, here's what we begin to understand. Lot's wife, who by the way, what was her name? We're not giving it, are we? Lot's wife, her life was in Sodom and Gomorrah. Her friends her family everything she wanted was there when she looked back it was because you know she takes off and runs with the family but she is just avoiding destruction more than she is seeking refuge in the lord i i want to point out something here that the text is teaching that jesus is teaching us here and it's we're seeing it in the latter parts of this verse as well and it's an issue of what do you really love Richard Baxter, how many of you ever heard of that pastor? He was a great pastor from years ago. He's he's with the Lord now. Richard Baxter says this about how believers and unbelievers view heaven. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but here's what he writes. Believers prize heaven above this world. Unbelievers prize heaven over hell. You see that difference? As Lot and his daughters ran for salvation and ran to God's promises of of remaining and being uh, joyful and and you know they're, I'm sure they're lamenting those that are being destroyed, but they're they're mainly focused on moving forward and moving ahead in the things of the Lord. Not Lot's wife; she only leaves really to avoid the impending destruction. You know, I, there's nowhere more pronounced where I see this happening than at funerals. You know. Uh, Coach Bennett shared with us this morning about, you know, how do you approach funerals and what is that like? I just found out this week there's a new side part-time hustle. I told my Sunday school class this. This really has nothing to do with the text. I just thought this was different. There's a guy in Australia that calls himself the coffin confessor, and people pay him as much as $10,000 to go and speak on behalf of the deceased and drop bombshells like My best friend was having an affair with my wife while I was dying and sick, right? And then he just walks out, right? Can you imagine dropping bombshells like that? Anyway, back to where this plays out in funerals. I hear people take podiums, which I'm always, whenever people open up the floor at a funeral, I'm always very nervous because I have no idea what they're going to say. Sometimes it's very good. And sometimes it's a dumpster fire train wreck, right? It just depends on who gets up there, what they've had to drink before they go up there, sometimes, right? It just depends when they open the floor what you're gonna get. And I'll hear people get up there and say, Oh yeah, oh Uncle Herb, he's just out there catching them crappies forever now. Or they'll say, Oh yeah, he's he's up there, he's got him one of them golden uh, deer stands now, brothers, and he's uh, he's hunting them deers forever now. Or they'll say, Oh, he finally got him at 57. He always wanted. Friends, the crown jewel of heaven is Jesus Christ. It's not fishing and it's not deer stands and hunting and it's not whatever mortal thing you wanted, right? It, Jesus here is getting at the heart of what are you after, right? Baxter goes on to say, To the ungodly, there is nothing more desirable than this, in this, wor- than this world. So to the ungodly, all they can think about as the greatest joys and pleasure is what is here. And I guess, as one preacher rightly said years ago, this is probably because this is as close to heaven as they'll ever get. Which to me is, is sad. Now the reverse of that's true, right? As Christians, this is as close to hell as we'll ever get, isn't it? As followers of Christ. Here's the thing that we see time and time again uh, in, in the judgment of God a judgment of God in Romans 1 and even here we're seeing it here with Lot's wife the thing you really want whatever that thing is if it's something other than the living God if it's something other than the jewel of heaven Jesus Christ sometimes the judgment of God is he'll just give you that thing but that's all you'll ever have so remember Lot's wife They're eating and drinking, they're buying and selling, they're going on here. So it will be when that day comes. He goes on and tells us here, 31. On that day, let no one on the housetop. Now that probably sounds odd to you because in in the ancient world, they would like build patio areas on top of their homes and put kind of, you know, guards up around it. And in the cool in the evening of the day, they would go sit on the rooftops and that's where families would gather, that's where friends would gather together. And it says here, when you do a surface level reading of this, you think it means there's not enough time to go down and grab something, right? If you're having a get-together on the rooftop, I don't have time to go down. No, it's not what Jesus is saying. This is an issue of the heart, right? Remember what we said just a minute ago with Lot's wife? Remember what Richard Baxter said? It's prizing something else. Like, oh, is it time already, Jesus? Is the time up? Let me run down real quick and grab, and you just fill in the blank. It's the same thing here with the man in the field right it says here tells us here that those that are on the rooftop they'll let them not go back and get their goods and not come down and away with them you know you're you're trying to cling to what is here right let them go likewise let the one who is in the field not turn back. Those who are out working in the field. Oh, is it time to go already, Lord? Let me go grab a few ears of corn before we go. Whatever it is you poured your life into, whatever it is that is your heart's desire, that's the issue. You know, when Christ returns and it's the day of the Lord, whatever you got in your house, whatever you got in your bank accounts, whatever you've got in your fields does not matter. It doesn't matter. The fulfillment of your heart is coming through and breaking through in a bright morning to a new dawn of eternal joy in His presence. There's no rookie card that's worth turning back for, right? There is no video game worth turning back for. There is no uh, gold collection or, or mamaw's plates. It doesn't matter what it is. When Christ comes, those things are over, right? We have a new joy. We have a new peace. We have a new... World that's breaking through as the second phase of the kingdom enters in. Now, notice a couple other things about this. Um, Tells us here, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. This is a very straightforward meaning. Those that are trying to keep everything they have in this life, in this world, like Richard Baxter pointed out just a minute ago, you're going to lose everything. But those that will freely give up what this world has and the joys and the comforts that are here for Christ. You will have all things when you possess him. Uh, I tell you, look, at, look what he says here. In that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and one will be left. So think about this. The day of the Lord comes. There's going to be some people that are going to be lounging on the rooftop with their family. Some's going to be taken, some's going to be left. There's going to be people working in the field. Some's going to be taken, some's going to be left. And there's going to be people sleeping in the bed at night. Now, how is that? Possible? Well, it's daytime here. Is there anywhere else in the world it's nighttime right now? Huh? On the other side of the globe, right? There's people in bed sleeping right now, aren't they? So when Christ returns, He will gather from daytime and nighttime in a moment, in an instant. It's kind of wild to think about, isn't it? Uh, there's this is a clear biblical teaching, right? And and you say, Pastor Travis, well. Isn't there supposed to be so many thousand go to Jerusalem and isn't this supposed to happen, isn't that supposed to happen before any of this can come? There is only one prerequisite in this passage from the lips of Jesus, so I didn't make this up. This is not something that I just came up with to try to scare you to do better because I'm not interested in scaring you to do better. I'm interested in pointing you to the beauty of Christ and you having a life of gratitude and joy flowing from that. That's what I'm interested in. What does he say? Look back what we just read. Verse 25, but first... Before phase two of the kingdom comes. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. What's he talking about? It's the the cross. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. Was he not rejected by his generation? Right? I have Barabbas and I have Jesus. Who do you want me to release? And all of Israel cried, Barabbas. Right? He was rejected by his generation in his day. And they said, Let his blood be on us. And for all generations, they don't really know what they were saying, but that's sort of a beautiful thing for those that come to Christ, isn't it? Let the blood be on them. So he has has been rejected. It has been fulfilled. There is nothing left to fulfill for the return of Christ. Christ could return today, he could return while we gather here. There is nothing left. For Christ to return the question is what are you doing are you playing some kind of a game with the Lord where you're trying to look good in front of your community here listen let's be I used to have a preacher I like to listen to he used to say this all the time let me put this in your kitchen right that's where you live I'm gonna put this in your kitchen where you live <clears throat> we live in the Bible belt right Tennessee's the buckle of the Bible belt we're batting a thousand in the obituaries have you noticed that everybody that dies here goes to heaven I don't really believe that, but that's what it says in the obituaries, okay? <clears throat> you can play a game with church members. You can play a game with your pastor, and you can pretend and all this stuff, but the Lord knows what you truly treasure in your heart. Where is your heart this morning? Are you treasuring Christ? Is He truly your crown jewel of your life? Or is it stuff that is here? Where is it, Lord? Right? Right? Where, the, the disciples tell us here, where, where are you going, right? Where are you taking all these people? That's what they say in verse 37. Where, Lord? And he said, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. All right. First of all, let me unpack this and point to a, what we like to call exegetical fallacy. That's a fancy way to say a misinterpretation of Scripture. I have heard this passage poorly preached in the past, and it went along this line. Brothers, what you've got to realize is right now, you know, there's going to be a great war with Jesus in Jerusalem. And right now, Israel has the highest number of vultures of any country in the world. People have, I've actually heard people say that from the pulpit. It's not what this verse means. It's not what this verse is talking about. It's not talking about an exponential number of vultures. And actually, the Greek word here for vulture is the same word for eagle. Many of you may or may not know this. Who, who in here is an American history nut? You like American history? Remember Benjamin Franklin? He didn't want the eagle to be our national bird. You remember that? He, I think he wanted the turkey, right? Which, as far as I'm concerned, is the national bird. <laughs> anyway. But, uh, you know, I don't know if you know about the natures of eagles, but um, they're kind of scoundrels. I have a dear friend, Pastor Neil, up in, in uh, Wisconsin— And he's got a a friend that's a park ranger in Alaska, and there's a large number of eagles, bald eagles in Alaska. They actually refer to bald eagles up there as dumpster chickens because they're constantly around anything that is dead, anything that is rotting. They're they're opportunistic feeders. This passage that you're seeing here, Jesus is actually sort of cryptically referencing a passage in Job. If you want to turn there with me, you can. Uh, Job says here in chapter uh, Thirty-nine. So, Job's almost in the dead center of your, of your Bible, a little bit to the left, if you got a paper Bible. Talking about those uh, vultures. Here's what he says. And this is, if you're familiar with the story of Job, Job is, you know, he loses everything, and um, he's crying out to God, Why, why, why? My family is dead. My servants are dead. I've lost about everything I own. Even my, his health is gone. But he couldn't. Satan couldn't kill him. And uh, just remove that hedge of protection. And he's saying, why God, why? And then God shows up, right? The whole, much of the book is very unhelpful conversation with his friends that are saying true things wrongly applied. Have you ever read a friend like that? They say true things, but they apply, they apply them incorrectly. Uh, and so God shows up here at the end. And he says, you know, where were you when I set the foundations of the world? Where were you when I held back the oceans? Where were you whenever I made these large, magnificent sea creatures? You weren't around. So basically, I'm God, you're not, and you just need to trust that. And here's what he says here uh, in the latter part. God's speaking to Job. He smells the battle from afar, talking about, you know, same word here. Could be eagles, could be vultures. The thunder of captains and the shouting. It is by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads his wings towards the south. It's your command the eagle mounts up and makes its nest on high. On the rock he dwells and makes his home, in the rocky crag and stronghold. For there he spies out his prey, his eyes behold it from afar, his young ones suck up blood, and where the slain are, there he is. This passage here telling us God is saying, I designed it all. You know, the 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 eagles, the vultures, they circle around where the slain is, and they're there. Wherever that if there's a battlefield, they're there. I used to pastor, my first church was up in uh, Bedford, Kentucky, and I lived in Louisville, so you had to take I-71 up, and there was this one section of I-71, it was like just heavy trees. I don't know if you've ever traveled along 71 from Louisville to Cincinnati. It's just a real heavy wooded area, you can't even really see the other lane hardly. Well, come, come deer season, the deer would hide in the median of 71 because no hunter could get in there and get to them. And uh, if you're not familiar with deer in Kentucky and in Indiana, they make the deer around here look like dogs with sticks sticking out of their head. They're massive, comparatively speaking. That's part of the corn belt, right? Got a lot of soybean and corn fed deer up there. And I can remember every Sunday morning as we were heading up there, I felt like particularly during deer season, I could see it three or four miles off. I would see the circling of the vultures of, or eagles. And sure enough, a couple miles in, I could see the carcass where one deer just didn't time the jump right. And a semi took them out because that's about what it would take. And it was a vile, gross, disgusting thing. And they just, you know, by God's design, you know, vult, you know, sharks are sort of the vacuum cleaners of the ocean. I guess vultures and bears are the vacuum cleaners on the land side, right? They're taking care of the mess that is left. And it's all God's design. What's Jesus saying here? Is he warning us about a bunch of vultures in Israel? No. Is he just trying to give a, a gross image here of, of what will happen? Not necessarily. I think what Jesus is saying here is, look, I've got, God, we have designed this whole thing. There is going to be a very clear sign. It's going to be like lightning, right, across the sky. You know, we just recently had a real bad windstorm. Everybody heard it, didn't they? It was unmistakable. It's going to be an unmistakableness there. The warning signs are even here now, right? The whole earth is kind of groaning. I was reading an article this week about how physicians, what are they called? They study physics. What are those uh, physics professors? I can't think of the name of them. Help me out here, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. I've read an an article by them. They're saying that basically the universe is kind of unwinding. as It expands out It is an unwinding. It's coming to a point here, right? History is not necessarily a circle. History is is moving to an apex event. And this apex event is the day of the Lord. It's the return of Christ, okay? And Christ is telling us, be ready, be prepared. Closing here, I kind of want to just make a a last point. When I first got in ministry, there was a guy who I thought was just a fantastic communicator of the Word of God. His name was Rob Bell. Anybody ever heard of him before? Uh, And Rob fell off the horse, right? Rob wrote a book called Love Wins, where he basically subscribed to universalism and moved into a camp where... He no longer believed that Christ was the only means of salvation, uh, but began to even question whether there's a heaven and lots of different issues. And I remember listening to a clip of him as he was waning out of ministry, as he was beginning to kind of collapse in on himself. And there's a quote that sort of sticks out to me. He was at a very liberal Presbyterian college. And Rob Bell actually spoke at some of our seminaries here in the SBC whenever he was at height of his ministry. But they went on to say uh, that, you know, Jesus never really taught that some would face judgment, death, and destruction. Have they read Luke 17? Beloved, do a little exercise with me. When Lot and his family were saved from Sodom and Gomorrah, were most people in Sodom and Gomorrah saved or were a few? A few. When Noah and his generation, when the rain started, were most people saved when the rain came or was it a few? No, beloved. These are the words of Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to make you behave. I'm trying to point you to a reality that our Lord and Savior said is going to happen. The question is, where are you? Is your heart ready when that moment happens? Because we lack nothing for the fulfillment of these passages today. We lack nothing to happen for this to come. No, the Bible has taught us clearly it is not the most, it is the few. And Christ is quickly coming. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bow before you today. we thank you for a passage like this. Lord, we're challenged by this and uh, in our own hearts and our own lives, Lord, that that internal conversation we're having with ourselves, what do we truly treasure today? Do we treasure your things? Do we hold you as the crown jewel that you should be? Do we long for heaven? Lord, we know it may be a sin to wish to die, but I do not think it a sin to long for heaven so that we can be in your presence in a very face-to-face fashion, Lord. Help us to be that people, not a people who just want heaven as a preference over hell and over punishment and destruction, but as a place where we behold you for eternity. Let us live as a people out of a, out of a genuine heart that loves you and is so grateful that we're part of this family you've given us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, you've heard the Word of God. You have heard the calls of Jesus Christ. In this passage, He is pleading with Pharisees and He is pleading with the disciples. Turn to me. Love me. Cherish me above all. Are you doing that? If you're not, won't you start today? Wouldn't this be a great day to be saved, the Sunday before Easter, the Sunday before Resurrection Sunday? What better time to come to Christ than now? I'll be in the back to receive you as we sing in response. Please stand.